Good morning, and thanks for joining me as we spend some time together looking at God's Word, unfolding it verse by verse. We're in the midst of a study of the book of Romans. We're in chapter 1 of the book of Romans and actually looking at some very uncomfortable verses, at least in our current culture, although I suspect uncomfortable in any time of history and in any particular culture setting. We're talking about some of the tragic consequences that God identifies for us of the outcome of rebellion against him and the rejection of what we know to be true about God in our own hearts. He's talking about the tragic consequences of sin. Sin, things that God gives us over to in terms of sin's enslavement when we have rejected what we should be doing in relationship to God. Tragic, tragic consequences. Uh, in verse 24, in verse 26, verse 28 of chapter 1 of Romans, we encounter the phrase, God gave them up. And so God's giving us some examples of sin's outcomes in the lives of people. Not only that sin separates us from God, which is the biggest problem and the ultimate problem to which the gospel was addressed, but also sin works to corrupt us and to enslave us as individuals here in this life. It impacts on our thinking, on our behavior, and therefore ultimately on our relationships with other people. Let me read to you today the verses that we began to look at yesterday. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the drew penalty for their error. In describing the consequences of rebellion against God, the enslaving effects of sin, the three proofs that God gives us to try to help us to make sense out of ourselves and out of our world is that, number one, in verses 24 and 25, he identifies the enslaving effects of impurity, the expressing of sexuality as God's designed us, but expressing it in ways outside the boundaries of marriage heterosexual sexuality expressed without the commitment and the restrictions of a man and a woman married in the sight of God. Yesterday, we began looking in verses 26 and 27 that I read to you about the problem of an unnatural, perverted sexuality. Not only that sexuality is being expressed outside the framework of a marriage as God's created it to be expressed, but it's being expressed in non-heterosexual manners. It's being expressed in distorted, perverted manners. We looked yesterday at that phrase, dishonorable passions, and how in the Greek language that meant, and for the mind of the person receiving these scriptures, it meant sexual perversion sexuality that was enslaving and not expressed in the natural way, heterosexually. Things that the phrase contrary to nature is used here, things that are truly contrary to nature, ex expressions of sexuality that are contrary to God's design in creating men and women. And we talked about the fact that that terminology, dishonorable passions, covers a number of things, pedophilia, uh, 
unnatural expression of sexuality toward children, homosexuality, uh, some of the broader perplexing uh, distortions that are found in the modern LGBTC sort of categories, but also uh, within areas like bestiality and other things. So the dishonorable passions uncovers a number of things that were basically examined and looked at and said, these are distortions. These are corruptions contrary to nature. And then God picks up on the perhaps the most pervasive of those corruptions, and that was homosexuality. And so we want to continue our study today and look a bit more at that. Homosexuality is identified for us as the core example of what he means by dishonorable passions, depraved, perverted expressions. God created humanity, men and women, with a sexual drive, a sexuality, initially to drive toward procreation. God, in other words, created us in this world with a desire for sexual expression with the opposite sex. And therefore, that is what is normal to nature. But God is helping us to understand here that, listen, due to sin, it doesn't always express itself that way. And sometimes sexuality and the sexual drive ends up being expressed in ways contrary to nature. It can be expressed in ways contrary to God's word in terms of sexuality outside of marriage, but it can also be expressed in ways contrary to nature, contrary to the way God designed us. And that is essentially what God says about homosexuality. It is a distortion and a perversion. It is contrary to nature. Not a popular thing to say in an era that's trying to make us think it's a normal and natural thing and people are simply born that way. But the Word of God tells us just the opposite. Now, sometimes people's perversions are the product of sins done against them, but nonetheless, they're still contrary to nature. God says homosexuality is contrary to nature. When women express their sexuality toward other women, it's contrary to nature. When men express their sexuality toward other men, it is contrary to nature. That is what the Bible says. I don't apologize for that. That's what God said. I didn't say it. God describes it in that fashion. It is God, not some ancient primitive culture, and certainly not some bigoted religious group that says these actions are contrary to nature. Shameless acts is another term he uses here. Shameless acts, women toward women, men toward men. And he also warns us here that these shameless acts, contrary to nature, perverted activities and expressions, will have a lasting effect in one's life. They produce, as he puts it here, a due penalty within them. <laughs> there is a due penalty for these distorted, perverted expressions. Homosexuality and other of these dishonorable passions that are being described here always produce an inner corruption, an inner twisting. Uh, one of the theologians described it as a soul scarring, and I think that's a good way to describe it. They are, they are distortions and scarrings inside that end up crippling people. 
what God is saying, there's always going to be a price to pay. There's a price to pay in normal impurity when we have expressed sexuality outside the framework of the marriage. But there's also a price to pay, and in a sense, a deeper, more corrosive price to pay when we allow sexuality to be expressed in distorted ways, dishonorable ways, contrary to nature. There's a price to pay. And one cannot be true to the word of God and not make that plain. Uh, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. (laughs) And God cares about all who have fallen into the enslavement of what are called dishonorable passions. But he doesn't change the description of what they're doing. And he offers them forgiveness and deliverance from those things. God says we're called to love like him, the sinner, but to call sin, sin. And to talk about the fact that this type of sin is enslaving and ultimately soul scarring. And as all immorality is, and people need to turn from that, turn to Christ, find him as Savior, find forgiveness, find enablement through the empowering Holy Spirit and from a new heart within to begin to be different so the scarring can stop, so the destruction can be over, and so the perversion can be kept away. We are called as as children of God to stand for what God's word has to say, to boldly stand for it, to boldly warn people about the consequences of their action, whether that action is the impurity of sexual immorality outside the framework of marriage, or whether it's the perversion of sexuality. In both cases, there are prices to be paid, enslavements and hurt that emerge. And God says, in love, you're called upon to point that out. But as we do that, it will not make us popular in the culture. I was thinking in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, with respect to all of this, talking about the perversions and distortions and sinful activities of life. He says, the world is surprised you don't join with them in that same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The world around us and the culture around us is going to be very unsympathetic with those who hold to the truth of God's word about misused sexuality, whether it's impure or whether it's perverted. We need to expect that. But we cannot but stand on the truth of God's word. Join me tomorrow because I want to conclude looking at these verses by a quick scan of what God's word does tell us about homosexuality in places beyond Romans chapter 1. God bless.